What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a new series called That's Not in the Bible. We are exploring popular ideas and thoughts that very well may sound biblical, but quite simply are not. These are the sorts of things we might think or say without realizing where they come from. A friend could be in distress and we say a phrase to try and comfort them, but instead we give them half-baked philosophies. Instead of Jesus, we spout off half-truths and pop culture. Well, we're going to try to bring a little bit of clarity to what the Bible actually says, rather than simply what we think it should say. Uh, So we begin with the birth of Jesus. In this season after Christmas, we celebrate Epiphany, Jesus revealed to the world, and in particular to the three kings of Orient that travel so far. Uh, Carol's going to read for us our scripture for today. It comes from Matthew chapter 2, where just before the story we hear about the birth of Jesus, uh, mostly it's filled with commands from an angel to Joseph and the prophecies that Jesus would fulfill. But let me quote the actual story of Jesus' birth in Matthew. Here it is. She, Mary, had born a son, and he, Joseph, named him Jesus. That's it. That's the whole story. The real action is here in chapter 2 where wise men, or magi, come to visit Jesus. They have seen a star in the sky and it pointed to Israel, so they traveled a thousand miles, uh, probably over two months' time. So we hear the story as they arrive at the capital of Israel, looking for a new king. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he required of them, inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, In former generations this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is... 
the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts that we might learn your word and live to bring your good news to this world. Amen. You know, amazing finds can happen just about anywhere. A few years ago, a man named Cliff was on his way to a retirement party. He had forgotten his gift for the occasion and didn't have enough time to return home to get it. So he did a quick Google search. He came across the name of a rare book dealer who sold books from his home, and it just happened to be along his route. So he went in, bought a copy of a William Blake book of poetry, and was ready for the party. Then the bookseller asked Cliff if he knew anything about art. Turns out Cliff did. He bought and sold art and had once been the president of the Worcester Art Museum. So the book dealer tells Cliff he knows someone who says they have a very special work of art that may be very valuable. Cliff is skeptical, but decides to give the man his number and heads off to the retirement party. Eleven days later, Cliff gets a text message with a photo attached. It's a badly pixelated image of Madonna and child. That's the Italian way to say Mary and baby Jesus. He gets a second picture, though. The man told him he paid 30 bucks for this drawing at an estate sale, and Cliff's jaw drops when he sees the photo. It looks real and has the signature of a famous 16th century artist named Albrecht Dürer. Turns out the man with the drawing lives one mile from Cliff's house. Cliff is there almost immediately. He looks it over and he can't speak. The man's sort of weirded out by this. He goes and watches some TV. When he comes back, he sees Cliff, uh, asks Cliff what he thinks, and Cliff offers him $100,000 on the spot with no strings attached. He immediately accepts, and Cliff is off trying to find out if it's real or not. If it's fake, he has thrown away $100,000. If he's right and the drawing is authentic, it is worth millions, tens of millions of dollars. It will be the find of a lifetime. He gets a ticket to fly to London and brings the art to one of the most respected conservators in the world. She found that someone made marks to try and make it look older than it was, and it also had some modern adhesive on it, so it was likely a fake. Cliff was crushed, but he he gave it one last shot. He said, what if you remove all the new stuff and shine a flashlight through it? It should have a secret watermark of a trident and a circle that's on all his works. So that's what she did, and she shines a light to reveal the watermark. It was indeed an authentic work of art, estimated to be worth $50 million. An amazing find, all because a man forgot his gift on the way to a party. I think this kind of story reminds us of something that is true of all of us. We are all like Cliff, looking for great works of art. It's not art itself, though, that we want. We want to find meaning and value and purpose in our lives. We want life to be worth living. And it doesn't just show up. We have to search for it. We have to be ready for that find of a lifetime. In the Christian faith, we say that the greatest find of a lifetime is Jesus Christ, God revealed in the flesh. 
Now, that's a big claim. So let's step back for a moment and, and think about God here. For many people, their beliefs are a very simple thing. They believe what they see. If they can't see it, they don't believe it. This is very different from what people believed thousands of years ago. Usually, an ancient person assumed first a belief in God or gods. The Greeks had Zeus, Romans had Apollo, etc., etc. Some people would say that an ancient person's belief in God was based on their very limited understanding of the world. Because they didn't get science, they had to attribute unexplainable things to the action of God. They could see things happening that they didn't understand, and thus they believed in a higher power. Now, that's a bit simplistic, but as time went on, people got more sophisticated and came up with proofs and reasons to believe in God. One philosopher in the Dark Ages, Anselm of Canterbury, had a proof that said, God is that which no higher can be conceived. He would have said that the mere fact that we can conceive of a supreme being means there must be one. Well, we know today that that's a pretty weak argument. I can conceive of a perfect island where my every desire is fulfilled instantly, but that doesn't make it a reality, does it? We could argue in circles for a long time about whether we can prove God exists or not, but I think these arguments bring us back to the original point. People believe what they can see. So why doesn't God just reveal himself already? Why doesn't God just show up in the middle of this room and say, do what I say, believe in me? It would certainly make getting people to show up in church on Sunday mornings a whole heck of a lot easier. So why doesn't he do that? I know I've certainly wondered that myself. If God is this all-powerful being that can smash the universe into smithereens, get me the best parking spot at the grocery store, and save my friend from dying of COVID, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he show up, reveal himself to everyone, and make the world a better place already? Well, that assumes a whole lot of things, doesn't it? A few years ago around Easter, I was reading the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as I was reading it, I saw something I hadn't seen before. It seemed like Jesus was almost scared to die, pleading with God for a way out. That simple observation brought me into a pretty serious crisis of faith, which I had to work through for a long time, and ultimately my doubt forced me to look again at how I understand God. I realized that perhaps the God I had worshipped as a teenager and as a college graduate and even as a person working in a church, maybe that God didn't really exist. Maybe this concept of God I had was all wrong. I had always assumed that God was a lot like me. God thought like me and felt like me. The difference was simply that God was a superhuman version of me. Superior intellect, superior strength, stuff like that. But really, when you stop and think about it, that doesn't really make any sense at all, does it? People and animals have brains made of nerve clusters. That's how we think and feel and move. But God doesn't have nerve clusters. It is physically impossible for God to think and feel the same way that I do. If God exists, God has got to be something completely different in material than what I am. Because God is not physical the way that I am. And when I realized this, for the first time in a while, I actually had some hope. Maybe there really is something bigger and better out there. Not just a better version of me, but something different, something 
holy other and superior to me in every way possible. You know, it can be tough for science to address things beyond the physical. In most physics, you perform an experiment and you can see a result. We call this materialism. What you see is what you get. In quantum physics, though, that's just not true. Quantum physics looks at the smallest bits and pieces of the universe, things you can never see, uh, things that uh, don't follow the usual rules. So instead of what you see is what you get, you have wave functions. So what does that have to do with the existence of God? Well, ultimately, quantum physics points to the fact that not everything is as we see it. There is something deeper happening, something below the surface, something that can't be explained by traditional means. Quantum equations require more than what we can see and an infinite number of possibilities. That's starting to sound like God talk, isn't it? I heard once that belief in God comes down to a gut instinct and that people who think more intuitively are more likely to believe in God. And that makes sense to me. Uh, People that are looking for something concrete to say, look, there it is, there is God, are not very likely to find it. Since if God does exist, he would have to be completely other than us. But I feel confident in this much, that if there is a God, I would want to be connected with that being. I may not be able to see it, but if I can feel it and live more in tune with it, be a better person because of it, and live with a deeper and fuller joy because of it, I would be a fool not to be like Cliff and immediately offer $100,000 on the chance that it might be the real thing. There are plenty of people who say they are deeply connected with God. There are people who say they have experienced miracles in their own lives. They have been healed of past hurts, healed of bitterness. Some have even been healed of cancer. Others describe how much their life has changed once they have come in contact with God. Stories in the Bible tell people who give away all of their money or live their entire lives in the temple of God serving him. Many authors of the scriptures write about how when they met Jesus, somehow this man was more than just a man. He did more than just live well or wisely or peacefully. He lived connected to God so deeply that he did miracles and changed the course of history. People say that when they met Jesus, they saw God. And it all begins in the story of the wise men. They were actually called magi and were like astrologists, people who studied the stars for signs. Today you could get your horoscope and it's a similar idea. These religious scholars observed the stars and made guesses about what was happening in the world because of what they saw. Their guess was that a new king was born in Israel, so they came to bring gifts. I had someone come to me a couple weeks ago, and they complained how what what we see in the manger scene in the stable was all wrong. And they're right. The wise men didn't even show up when Jesus was born. It was months, if not years later. So here's a few more things not in the Bible regarding Jesus' birth and the wise men. There was no inn that Mary and Joseph were, were turned away from. They were far more likely in a small cave where the family animals kept shelter. 
Jesus was not born in December. It was probably either in the fall or the spring. There were not three kings or three wise men. First, there weren't just three. Uh, That was just the three gifts. Uh, When they entered the city, it caused a stir because there were probably at least a hundred people in this traveling caravan. That would certainly change the look of our manger scene, wouldn't it? These astrologists saw something in the sky that made them think a new king was in Israel. But instead of a baby born to a king, it was a baby born to peasants. An unmarried couple so poor they didn't have any money to give to the temple to thank God for the birth of their baby. So many of the things we think we know about the Christmas story just aren't right. But the beauty of the story of these wise men, these magi, is that they were seeking God. Even though they didn't have the details right, they were pursuing Jesus Even though they didn't understand the prophecies and the meaning of a coming Messiah, they traveled for months to find this new king. You know, the people that were expected to know God right away, the rabbis, the Sadducees, and scholars in Israel, they missed it. They didn't find God. But these foreigners who knew almost nothing about Israel and the God who had done so many incredible things for these people somehow They were the ones to find God. That same opportunity is in front of us, too. We can find God if we pursue him. We may not understand why God does what he does, why he doesn't do the things we expect him to do, but if we keep an open mind and keep pursuing him, we are going to find the king. It seems that the people who had the least knowledge and were probably most skeptical, found the meaning and purpose and hope that they were looking for. I hope that wherever you are in terms of your faith and your belief in God, that today you'll be more open to pursuing God. You'll try to see something beyond the problems and chaos of life. You'll look for and find God at work in the world around you. Let me end with this. A professor in an acting class asked her students to find something extreme to share with the class the next day. One young lady decided to leave the class outside, read some of the toughest passages in the Bible, rip them out, and light them on fire. Well, that was certainly extreme. Last, though, was a young lady who brought her guitar and sang a love song to Jesus. As she finished, class was dismissed and everyone went home. Everyone except for the girl who had burned the Bible. She said, that song was so beautiful. Can you help me to know more about that, God? And she did. She brought her new friend to Bible study, prayed with her, and eventually she accepted Jesus into her own life. So why doesn't God show up? Why doesn't he reveal himself and make the world a better place already? Well, maybe he has. Maybe he's just done it in a way that is completely different from how humans think and act and feel and see. Maybe God isn't who we think he is. I would even guess that those ancient people who said they knew God intimately through prayer and study and meditation were on to something. They said that they could see God, 
Instead of doubting them, maybe we could join them on the journey, the journey of epiphany. Jesus revealed as God among us. It very well may open up a world of possibilities to us. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.